is the U.S. military trying to purge conservative Catholics, conservative Christians from the military? It's an interesting question. And when you see what the military is doing with the vax mandate, this abortion tainted vaccine that they're trying to force on everyone. Oh, no, not force. Yes, they are. You're going to see the evidence for that right in this episode of the John Henry Weston show. We're going to be speaking with Navy Commander Rob Green and his military lawyer, Davis Yuntz. You're going to want to stay tuned. If you'd like to help out Commander Green and Davis Yuns, the lawyer and the clients that he is dealing with, please support the Life Funder that we've set up for them. You can find that at lifefunder.com. Let's begin as we always do at the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Commander Rob Green and lawyer Davis Yuns, welcome to the program. Before the show, I told everybody a little bit about you, Rob, a little bit about your background um, and a little bit about your cause right now. But I'd like to, if you could give to us a better glimpse, who is Rob Green? What are you standing for right now? Tell us a little bit about your family as well. Thank you, John. I appreciate being here. Uh, definitely appreciate being here with with Davis. Uh, been fighting alongside him for a while, so this is great. But I am uh, a Catholic, traditional Catholic, uh, pro-life Catholic. Um, and you know, my wife and I, we've been, uh, pro-life, we've been fighting, uh, for Catholic causes, uh, in our private lives. Uh, and I have tried to take my faith with me and everything I've done. Uh, it includes my naval service. Um, I've never had an issue where my conscience has, uh, been violated by what I've been asked to do by the service. Uh, but with the rollout of the vaccine mandates for the military, that is where things started to get questionable for me. And I had to do more research. I had to dig into why, uh, why that was a problem. Um, I have a responsibility uh, to six children uh, and a, num- a number seven on the way to raise them right, uh, to teach them what's right, and to stand up for what's right, uh, even if no one else will. So I was surprised, appalled, as I started to learn of the egregious violations of the constitution of law of military regulation being done in trying to enforce these vaccine mandates on the military. And I felt called to begin communicating. I initially initially communicated internally, communicating to my chain of command, uh, there are things that are wrong here. It was emails, uh, then memorandums, then eventually complaints filed internally to the Navy to point out uh, problems that we were seeing, issues that uh, that we were having. And I had a bunch of sailors, service members communicating to me issues that they were having, violations, harassment, coercion, uh, problems. That, and we've seen all kinds of crazy things, uh, things like service members uh, being restricted from traveling if they're unvaccinated, service members not being given medical treatment um, if they were unvaccinated. We were seeing, and I have a, a lieutenant, a chaplain lieutenant who was denied the right to travel from his training location to his ultimate duty station. And he, his pregnant wife and their three children have been stuck in a hotel room for 14 weeks waiting on the Navy to tell them that they can move. Uh, And so these are the kind of things that 
that I said, we have to stop this. And, and so I got involved, uh, began communicating with other service members in similar situations. And that is where uh, I was released by a separate whistleblower, a document proving that the Navy was violating constitutional rights law and regulation and how they were adjudicating religious accommodation requests for service members who, due to their conscience, were not able to take the COVID-19 vaccines. Okay. Now, we want to get to those documents in a minute, but something you said there is horrifying. So this one chaplain fellow who's left in the hotel for 14 weeks, do you have any other examples of that kind of, I mean, they say they're not forcing you to, uh, to take the vaccine, but if they're doing that kind of stuff, what, are there any other examples that you can give of that kind of harassment uh, to, to basically force people to take the vaccine? We have seen plenty. One example is, is pretty public. Uh, one of special operations members, uh, traumatic brain injury uh, from you know, recent deployment, worked for the service. And they denied him the right to go get medical treatment because he was unvaccinated. Now, th- things like this, we- we've seen uh, service members in all branches lined up, some of them daily, berated by you know, their senior enlisted leaders to go do something that violates their conscience. Their religious accommodations were ignored. Um, and many times the religious accommodations were the things that instigated some of these violations. And so we're seeing a leadership in the service abandoning um, the things that we were all taught, taking care of junior sailors. And that's, that's why I felt I had to get involved. Um, and then the lack of response to my various emails, memorandums, complaints, um, many of them dismissed, several of them dismissed days before uh, I was ultimately fired, which I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, those, those kinds of things um, are why my wife and I discerned that we do have to speak up. Uh, and why we're you know, visiting with you now. One of the things in, uh, in your case, which is filed, that is most stupendous is the evidence that you bring to bear. There, not only is there, um, which, which seems evident from, from the documents that you point to, not only is there just a, a pretense of allowing the uh, you know, religious exemptions to be applied for, but they never really get there. But there's actually, as you've discovered, a standard operating procedure whereby it proves that it's a ruse. And worse than that, they're trying to pull the wool over the American public's eyes or somebody's eyes to, to make believe that they're actually taking this stuff seriously when the documents seem to prove beyond any shadow of a doubt that there's no taking this seriously whatsoever. If you don't mind, just go through what the documents outline. The standard operating procedure that I received, it was written by uh, the... Deputy Chief of Naval Operations in one, that's the administrative office for the Navy. Uh, they are responsible for adjudicating all Navy religious accommodation requests. Now, what they did is they actually documented their process and it, it's written to the staffer level. So it's not, you know, the vice admiral personally going and receiving documents and adjudicating things, but to the staffer, how do you handle these? What do you do? And one of the very first steps. When they receive a request to not receive a COVID-19 vaccination, they immediately pull a template up and put the name of the requester in the denial template and then begin routing that for review. That's the first step. And then once that is reviewed by all the various offices, they then prepare a document to the vice admiral 
for him to sign disapproving the religious accommodation request. Now, everything is clean, packaged, you know, nice bow on it. And at that point, that's when they begin the review of what's in the document, which law requires them to do uh, and military regulation requires them to do. So it does absolutely to me look like it is, and I use the word fraudulent in my complaint, my internal complaint, which so far has been ignored by the Navy, which is why we're talking. I actually sent that to uh, the House uh, and the Senate Armed Services Committee to try to get attention there. Um, and I, I, I do hope it's kicking around. I do hope it's being looked at. But in the meantime, uh, Davis and I are, are, are talking about that. And so and I will say Davis is here, my attorney. Uh, but more importantly than that, uh, he's a brother in Christ, uh, an Air Force reservist as well, uh, Lieutenant Colonel. So he's fighting this fight along with us. And he can speak to a much broader picture. I can speak to my own story, my own experience, what I've seen, what I've done in, on the Navy side. But he can certainly bring it home for everything else that he's experienced with all his other clients. While we're speaking, you know, we're showing our audience the actual documents, the, the fact that they, they start off with a denial. Um, they're, they're prepping the rejection of your exemption papers. Absolutely unbelievable. Um, Davis, you're a man of the law. You are a lawyer. You've got many clients in this. Um, give us, first of all, your take on this document from a legal perspective. Does this look like uh, what we're at with layman's eyes? We look at and see, oh, my gosh, this is a sham. Is it legally speaking uh, what we're seeing? Is that like, a, you know, is this a slam dunk case or where do you, where do you think this is going? I think that's a, a great question, John Henry. When we look at it, the, the first thing we can do is, you know, I'm here speaking in my private capacity on behalf of, of Rob, but I can say based on my experience on active duty in the reserves, I've reviewed a lot of religious accommodation packages. Normally a JAG is part of that. And what before I met Rob, what I was hearing over and over again were these concerns raised. I spoke, I've spoken to two different Navy reserve officers who had their accommodation denied before they actually submitted it. In other words, they told their command, I'm going to submit a religious accommodation. They got put on a list. That memo you're talking about was auto-generated. And so their accommodation was denied before they'd officially submitted it. And so this is what you have going on. You have it going on in all the branches of the service. You have these whistleblowers. You have people calling me. You have all of these things going on leading up to actually these documents being publicly released by, I believe, two or three whistleblowers within the Navy who publicly released these documents into chats. Praise God, they got into the hands of, of people like Rob um, and could be put to, to good use in this. But yes, I mean, I can't say it much better than the judge in Texas did in calling it theater. It, it's political theater. It's being done to give a pretense to a process, but the reality is the, the intent all along, we've certainly seen it um, in the Navy documented most clearly. It's been for political or whatever reasons, we are going to deny these requests. And, and I will even take it a step farther and say, what's, what's mind blowing about this is, you know, God got me involved with this case because of a couple of pastors and a group of Navy SEALs. I'm a pastor elder myself, a volunteer pastor elder at my church. And just through the grace of God, knowing a Christian attorney who specialized in constitutional law, I ended up sitting with dozens of Navy SEALs, strong Christian men of faith, uh, Catholics and Protestants and pastors, and just being having their hearts poured out. That's how I got involved in this. Um, but we were looking, we were seeking 
this information. I was submitting Freedom of Information Act requests to the Air Force, to the Navy. These documents still aren't being released through those normal processes. So from the beginning, and I think Rob can verify this, nothing about this has felt normal or has felt usual when we when we talk about uh, the military's reaction to uh, the pandemic as a whole, but but also these vaccine mandates. And we could take uh, story after story of just the egregious things that we've seen uh, happen, but it began with trying to force uh, military members to take the vaccine, uh, restricting leave, uh, telling Navy members they were restricted to the ship 14 days prior to departure um, on a deployment if they weren't vaccinated. There were even units in the Navy where if one person on an entire ship out of an entire crew refused to get the vaccine, they would all be required to be confined to the ship for 14 days prior, prior to a deployment. Uh, another thing that the Navy did repeatedly at repeated installations throughout the pandemic was if you were not vaccinated, you were not permitted to attend a religious service. And they specifically said public gatherings to include religious services oh in those. So, I mean, I know personally a Navy officer who after 18 years resigned, just simply resigned um, over that policy because he raised all the all the issues internally and they didn't. So, you know, to say that we're coming here and Rob and I come here and we're talking about the, the vaccine mandate and the way it's handled, there's a history leading up to this um, where we've seen trouble coming when it comes to religious freedom in the military. And, and now we're faced with um, with political theater. Uh, it's deeply troubling. And we just, you know, we keep praying every day that God will reveal the truth, uh, that people will understand what's going on. They'll, they'll pray for us, but they'll rally behind us in the court of public opinion. It's a lot of what we need right now. This is unreal. The funny part about this is that the SOPs are a joke. They, they, they think, what do they think they're doing? But the sad reality is the torture that this is doing to good men and women who serve the country. And how is the leadership thinking they're doing this when they are sworn an oath to protect the, the Constitution and the rights of Americans, and yet they themselves are denying those rights to the very men and women who have given their lives to serving the country? That's, this is unreal. I've never seen anything like this before when we talk about um, this level. And uh, military members do not give up their constitutional rights by joining the military. I mean, it would be absurd to think that we swear an oath to support and defend the Constitution. Of course, we don't give up our, our basic fundamental constitutional rights. Uh, most importantly, our, our rights related to faith. But this is, you know, we need to be aware and we need to be advocating for a, a full understanding of what it means to be a person of faith, whether whether it's Catholic or Protestant, your faith, John Henry, Rob's faith, my faith impacts our worldview. It impacts our morals and our ethics. And the military now seems to be operating where it, even for the chaplains um, in the military, it's OK for you to have these beliefs. It's OK for you to be a person of faith, but don't act on them. Or don't allow them to, to color what you do, uh, because if you do, you won't be allowed to serve anymore. And, you know, again, there's so many examples that Rob and I could get into. But, you know, one, a Navy chaplain, I represent an Air Force chaplain. An Air Force chaplain filed properly a religious accommodation request, denied in the same boilerplate, the same exact memorandum that all my other clients receive. The names and dates are changed. That's it. He appeals it through the proper process. It's denied, and now he's given an order, get the vaccine within five days or face uh, punishment 
under the UCMJ and under adverse actions. And so today I'm working on a response for him to career ending punishment as a chaplain. And, and what's so crazy about this is he will lose his ability to, to minister and to shepherd and be a pastor to people if he violates his conscience in this way. He will lose his ability to, to stand in front of uh, parishioners and to continue to have an ecclesiastical endorsement if he gets this vaccine. Yet this is, this is the place that the military is going. So uh, it's a very difficult time from that perspective for military members. But praise God. All praise be to God. People are, I think, returning to their faith. They're seeing it. Even those that, that have gotten the vaccine, who have made that choice, and others during this time, I think Rob and I have seen a lot um, shake their heads and say, this is wrong. And, and there are people that are coming around. There are people, I think, that are going to refuse to get the booster when the military mandates that. So there is hope there. Um, and I do think that, you know, the, the Bible and God's word will reign supreme in this. So praise God for that. Amen. Let me ask you, can you give us, you, you mentioned you were fired. These are the costs of standing up for your conscience rights, standing up for the rights that are due every American soldier or not. Um, explain to us what, what happened there uh, and the cost to your family. At the beginning of all this, I had a lot of trepidation. Um, personally, I, I had some, some fear, what's going to happen to me, what's going to happen to my family. And I'm, am I going to be able to provide, I can't possibly violate my conscience and go along with this, knowing what I know and seeing everything we just talked about, uh, happening around me. You know, I, I knew I could not go along with that. We have historical examples that led up to Nuremberg trials that, you know, we cannot say, oh, it's following, following an order that, that doesn't fly. So for me, um, there was a couple weeks of fear and trepidation. And I will say that it was uh, my wife, a very incredibly strong person, absolutely fearless. She was, she was the one who kind of led me to, uh, you know, you, you, can't, you can't fear. Um, and, and it was kind of eye-opening when I looked around. And I said, you know, you're absolutely right. Uh, they want us to fear. They want us to fear death. They want us to fear sickness. They want us to fear COVID. They want us to fear losing our jobs. They want us to fear losing livelihood. Uh, they want us to fear participation in society. And that's where this is heading. And so for me, it was, I will not fear. And uh, for those, as, as Davis mentioned, for those who you know, were coerced, those who were harassed, we're going to stand in ranks with you. And you, can, you don't have to get the boost. You don't have to keep going. So that was the transition that went for me. And when I gave it up to God and I, I put that to prayer and spent time in adoration over that, and uh, it, it, it was eye-opening, it was releasing, um, it, it helped me to make sure that I could focus this fight. I gave it to God. And since then, it has been his fight. Uh, David's going to attest to the fact that the timing of everything uh, has worked to God's greater glory because um, I completely gave it over to him. And in doing that, uh, the Navy continued to give me orders, continued to say, you must be vaccinated by X date. Uh, you know, you must pass these particular sets of orders along. You must do, there's a, a number of things that I would immediately write another complaint back up on whatever they sent me and said, no, this violates my conscience. No, this violates law. Um, no, this violates this particular regulation. And so, you know, poor Davis had to see all of my various filings over uh, over you know months as I continued to hit back at everything I saw, um, but the fear was gone because uh, it was completely God's fight. And so uh, eventually, what that led to, um, there was a policy 
and I know that I'm going to let Davis speak to policies in general, but for this particular policy, it was an asymptomatic testing policy. So the Navy decided to institute a policy where uh, only the unvaccinated were subject to continual asymptomatic testing. Now, I was not sick. I was not feeling uh, unwell in any way. And I was the executive officer of my squadron. I had an entire suite where I was basically alone uh, in my own office was alone and could follow every good, you know, healthy protocol that, you know, that we could. And so uh, I said, no, this is discriminatory. It's against the unvaccinated and I cannot participate in it. It's just another harassing coercive measure. I will not participate. And so I filed another religious accommodation uh, to remove myself from having to follow that uh, particular policy. Um, the Navy did not appreciate that. Um, I was ordered by my chain of command uh, to not enter my own building. So I was, uh, I was banned from my building. And, uh, and also in the course of being banned, I was told that I could not adequately or successfully do my job as the executive officer if I could not be in the building. So I would drive to work uh, in the winter weather and sit outside in my car. And I just feel bad for some of my team members who had to come out and see me or talk to me outside in the winter weather. But, um, but that is the cost of, of doing business. And so I did that for about a week and a half. Um, and then several of my complaints uh, were, and, and these were complaints that, uh, that we haven't aired for this yet, but several of those complaints were, were dismissed. And it was only a few days after that that I was ultimately fired. Uh, and the reasoning that I was for why I was not fired was loss in confidence and my ability to do my job because I couldn't get in the building, which they banned me from. So it's, it's almost humorous uh, if it wasn't so tragic for the implications of what they are trying to coerce the, the military for now into doing and ultimately the American people. One of the uh, interesting things about about being forced to, to go outside uh, and and um, be cold, that's nothing new for the military. Uh, I was speaking to someone from the military just the other day, and they told me that the um, testing that is forced to do sometimes, uh, they make people line up for, make members uh, line up for, and they can wait out there for a very long time uh, to be tested, and they have to do that so very regularly. How often did they require this kind of testing? So the policy for the Navy is weekly. You have to demonstrate a negative test. Okay. And uh, is that done at some kind of central location or, or something like that? They have allowed people to do that via self-home tests. It, it typically depends on the command. Davis, if you would just give us um, what's really going on um, there in the military um, and perhaps also some broader picture of uh, what's really happening and do you see any, um, you know, end point to this, some kind of either a resolution, or do you see this still going worse than where we are today? I will start with what my clients like Rob and other clients have seen in the military. And, and I don't say this lightly, but over the past several years, we have seen a, a rise in um, just an almost, um, I don't want to say hatred, but I would say a clear uh, discrimination against uh, people of traditional Orthodox faith, whether we're talking about conservative Catholics or Protestants. Um, we've just seen a rise of that in the military. Um, and I say this, I mean, it is clear that the military has attempted to just more and more narrowly define what religious faith is and what the exercise of religious faith is for uh, conservative Catholics and for conservative Protestants. At the same time, 
whether it's the Air Force Academy or other things, we see an increasing approval of religious accommodations for things like, for example, a Norse neo-pagan that believes they need to have a beard in the military. Those religious accommodations have been approved. Um, and so it, there, there are things where you could just shake your head and say, I, I don't understand. Why are, why are these definitions getting broader and broader for, for certain uh, religious um, positions, but yet um, conservative Catholics and, and conservative Protestants, um, biblical Catholics and Protestants are being um, attacked and put into a very, very narrow lane. Um, and that includes chaplains, that includes JAGs and others, military lawyers that are put in these positions. So that's the backdrop um, for all of this. And even the extremism training, the anti-extremism training that's going on in the military, um, the, the training that I was forced to be a part of essentially said, if you believe in something so sincerely that you would give your life for it, or that you are totally committed to it, such that you would um, you know, do things that other people would normally not do, then you meet the definition of an extremist. That's all of us in the military. If we're serious about our oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States, we're, we're swearing an allegiance to, to a Constitution to do that. So all of that is the background that we see in the military as to where this is coming. And I think the same is true of society as a whole. I think that there is a, a desire for society to define religion as narrowly as possible and to try to turn things that are deeply held points of religious faith for us into some sort of a political or a partisan issue, whether it's a, a pro-life issues, the sanctity of human life issues or others, that's a, a marriage issues. Those are all issues I think we see society trying to turn into something other than religious or even turning into a hate crime or something else. The military will always be, in some respects, a microcosm of society, and often uh, political leaders will use the military as an experimentation um, tool, right, as a control group for experimentation when it comes to social and other issues, uh, even medical experiments and other things. So, you know, I got involved in this because a group of Navy SEALs stood up and said, not only are we opposed to this mandate because there isn't an ethically produced a vaccine that, that isn't uh, tied to fetal cells and abortions. But even beyond that, we fear what this means. If we stand by and allow the government to mandate unconstitutionally, illegally, and against you know, the, the faith and belief in the, that were created in the image of God, if we, if we allow that, when does it end? So it all, all began there. And I think that that carries over into society. So big picture, John Henry, what I will say is this, and praise God for it. So here's, here's the good news. Um, originally, when this mandate was rolled out, and Rob can attest to this, the threat from the military, the threat from the Navy was, if you, if you say no, we'll court-martial you. We'll court-martial you, we could throw you in jail, and we're going to give you a dishonorable or a bad conduct discharge, punitive discharges that can only be punishments from a court-martial. Those were the threats, repeated over and over and over again. That was the threat. You're going to jail. We're going to court-martial you if you refuse this. And then people stood up. People like Rob, people like the Navy SEALs stood up. It got the attention of Congress. It got the attention of the American public. And so the military has caved in large uh, part on this issue. So now we have moved from you're going to, you're, you may be locked up. You may go, be going to the brig to you're going to receive potentially an honorable discharge. So you're going to receive adverse action or potentially 
uh, an honorable discharge. So there's some good news in that because public opinion has shifted because Congress has been gotten involved. God has moved and this has changed. However, um, it, it, we need to continue this fight. People like Rob, um, even myself, I have 19 years of service. In the military, your retirement is all or nothing, right? The, system, the retirement system that Rob and I are under, you either get to 20 and qualify for retirement or you don't. Um, and so there are serious, significant financial consequences. Uh, beyond that, just, you know, Rob and I share a love for our country, a desire to serve, a love for the military. So there's significant uh, consequences, significant things that, that military members are giving up um, to take this stand. And that's what, you know, our, our brothers and sisters outside of the military are being asked to do and forced to do as well. But I do think the hand of God is moving. I do think there's opportunity for revival in this. And I do think when documents like what um, Rob was able to provide to the litigation in Texas come forward, it comes clear. I mean, it comes clear to anyone that sees it as, as long as their eyes are not blinded. The, the truth of this, that it is theater, that it has been a ruse, they're ignoring the law. Uh, for whatever reason, military leaders are doing that. Um, they're ignoring the law. One of the things I wanted to address with you guys is the possibility of this going south, as they say, or much further south, with a possible coming uh, military conflict. We know that uh, Russia and Ukraine are in the news. It's boiling over. There is such a thing as a presidential waiver. Uh, if one of you could explain what that is, how that might impact, and what that would mean for people like Rob and, and the rest of those heroically fighting against the vax mandate inside the military. So one of the big issues we've had with the vaccine mandate, and it, and it holds true with the testing as well, is because of past um, just horrors that our government has done and other governments have done to military members, our government cannot force military members to take an experimental drug or an experimental medical treatment. They cannot do that. So when these vaccines came out and they received emergency youth authorization, the military cannot force any of us to take it. The problem is there is a provision in the law where the president of the United States could waive, could waive that in writing and force military members to take an experimental use of vaccine or medical treatment. That has not happened here. That has, it's fascinating that that has not happened. Instead, one of the things that the military tried to do was to try to say that the vaccines that are available are interchangeable with the Cominardi FDA-approved vaccine. The, the truth of the matter, and I, I've spoken on this, it's part of, of litigation that's out there publicly, but I've spoken on this before. That's, that's simply not true uh, when you look at the ingredients of the vaccines, but even further, there's no Cominardi being produced in the United States. It's not being produced yet. And so what is available to military members, and we've gone as far as to verify vial numbers and lots, is emergency youth authorization vaccines. I have yet to have a military installation show us that, that they have FDA-approved vaccine available. So that, that question that you ask when you say that, it's, it's a huge and significant question here, because just like the shell game with setting up political theater to, not, to deny all uh, religious accommodations or not give religious accommodations a fair shake, from the beginning, we've seen a level of what appears to be dishonesty from the Department of Defense with regard to emergency youth authorization versus actually FDA-approved vaccines, which is a significant issue when we start talking about Nuremberg Code, for me as a JAG, for any military officer 
to, to have to question whether or not our leadership is issuing an unlawful order when it comes to medical treatment, very, very significant, very big deal. Um, and I, I will say, and I don't say this lightly, the Department of Defense and Department of Justice in one of the ongoing cases in Florida actually admitted in court documents, yes, when we issued this order and said that the Pfizer vaccine is interchangeable with the FDA approved vaccine, we were, we, we were wrong. What we really meant is anything produced after that that's produced in the right lab, even if it's labeled Pfizer, could still meet the requirements. So, you know, I don't say any of this lightly, but that's a significant legal issue that we still have going on. If President Biden were to issue that waiver approval in writing, it would take one legal issue off the table. But under the Constitution, under military regulations, under federal law, under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, we still as military members could apply for a religious accommodation. So it doesn't change that part of it, but it does change sort of the legal landscape uh, very significantly. There's going to be a lot of people who are extremely alarmed at what's going on, who want to support you, um, who want to know what we can do. We want to give back. We want to be able to support you. How do we do that? Well, there's definitely uh, there's a couple ways to do it. First of all, the most important way, word of mouth, get the word out there. We are actively being suppressed by social media. Uh, by the tech giants. Word of mouth is is critically important. There's a couple uh, 501c3s that are heavily involved. Uh, Stand with Warriors is one. Davis can speak to that uh, very well. Another one is the Truth for Health Foundation. They have taken a a significant stand with us as well. Um, And and I know that you're you're aware of them and what they do. Um, And so I would would say, get out there, uh, do that, because what's going to happen um, what they're trying to do is purge the military of men and women of conscience, the ones who would stand up uh, even if they're told uh, that they're going to be punished, that some punitive action is going to be taken. Uh, if everyone left is uh, coercible, if everyone out left is malleable, I do not know where this heads. So please get the word out. Um, you know, I, I still, uh, I'm still in the Navy. Uh, I was uh, demoted is, is strong. That was positional. I am still a commander in the Navy, um, uh, but I've been reassigned to another unit. Um, but I still have my oath. Uh, I swore an oath to defend the Constitution, so I'm going to keep doing that. Um, and as an American citizen, I'm going to keep doing that. I'm going to keep getting the word out however I can. And I call on everybody else, all your viewers and listeners, to, to please help us spread the word. Um, and I'll, I'll let Davis say a few words on that, too. He's definitely more eloquent than I am. Thanks, Rob. I, I would say John Henry first is pray. Um, pray for revival. Uh, pray for a renewal of, uh, of an appreciation for, for biblical justice and biblical law in our country, a, a return to that. Uh, that's, the, that's the most important thing that, that anyone can do. Um, practical steps, go to, uh, go to your congressional leaders, go to your, your congressmen, your, your senators. Do, do not let up um, in reaching out um, and just persistently asking, what are they going to do? How are they going to engage? How are they going to get involved? Because much of this feels very political, but that's a way to address that. You know, resources are always an issue when we talk about these fights. You have tremendous uh, organizations, legal and otherwise, that are fighting hard uh, to make a difference here and to take care of military members. So um, the one that I, that I started working with that was formed to uh, help Navy SEALs is called Stand With Warriors, standwithwarriors.org. 
Um, that was started by a group of pastors. Um, they're working hard. They've, they've helped connect us to media, to political leaders. And so folks can go there. There's sample letters um, to congressional leaders that they can pull from there, get updates as, as well as donate to help. And then there are other great organizations, uh, Truth for Health Foundation, Dr. Vliet um, and her team has been wonderful as well. Um, and so, you know, they have a, an important mission. They're bringing uh, medical providers to the fight as well and just approaching it that way. So that, those are two ways that uh, two great organizations that I can say have been helpful directly uh, to people like Rob and myself in this, in this battle. Gentlemen, I want to thank you on behalf of LifeSite and our readership and viewership for uh, your service to the country. But uh, even more importantly, you're standing strong for faith, for family and for freedom. May God bless you. And God bless all of you. We'll see you next time on the John Henry Weston Show. We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to lifesitenews.com because there we will always be. But we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe, and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms too, as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform, and we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, we are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to lifesitenews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are an excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of LifeSite News reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parler, MeWe, Rumble, and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSite News. I'm John Henry Weston, co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News.